0: Welcome to this week's episode of Off the Assembly Line. I'm your host, Rebecca Reed, and every week I sit down for possibility-sparking conversation with innovative educators and entrepreneurs who are bringing the future to education, one beautiful disruption at a time. Hey guys, welcome back to Off the Assembly Line. This is Rebecca, and I'm bringing you a brand new episode this week, which we'll get into in just a minute. I wanted to let you know that last week's town hall went so well. And if you're listening and you're a part of it, I'm just so grateful for the knowledge and experience and passion and innovation that was represented in the room. I left with several takeaways, um, but two that were really clear. The first is that we need more events, conversations, and connection like this. We need to get innovators in the room together as often as possible. But, and this is the second thing, conversation can only take us so far. It's the necessary first step uh, and the foundation, and to be honest, one of my favorite things. But ultimately, conversation has to translate into action, both independently and collaboratively. So this was just the start, and I'm already looking forward to the next town hall, which is most likely going to be held in early May, and where we'll dive deeper into some how might we conversations um, and outline some potential innovative solutions and start talking through some action steps that we can take away from the call. I'd love to have your voice in the conversation if you're interested, so stay tuned for more details. Okay, this week I'm talking with Don Wettrick, the CEO and co-founder of the Started Up Foundation and the host of the Started Up podcast. Don has spent 20 years teaching students how to get into what he calls the entrepreneurial way of being and how to use innovation to connect to a larger life purpose. What started in the classroom has grown into a global network of renowned innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs dedicated to helping teachers and students change education by building innovation and entrepreneurship into the fabric of the classroom don' and I talk about why this approach is so important, what it looks like in action, and how to get started. Here we go. Don, I am so glad to have you on the show today and really eager to dig into some true education innovation discussion.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. I'm excited to be here.
0: Awesome. So I saw on your website, um, you've got this great quote that your your dad Chuck Wetrick said and he said, I don't care if you teach for 20 years, just don't teach the same year 20 times and, um, which I just love that. And looking at your professional journey, uh, you were teaching innovation back in the late nineties, sort of well before this wave started to crest. Is it safe to say you grew up with an innovative mindset or in an innovative environment?
1: Yeah. I mean, in a way, yes. Um, I I think the, the dad quote was pivotal in the sense that, you you know, and, and technically small correction, you know, the, the way I taught the middle school English class might have been innovative, but I didn't start the innovation class until later. Um, but that being said, I mean, yeah, my, my dad's quote was, look, you know, he, he had been teaching for a long enough time that he's like, just don't keep repeating the same thing. Make sure you stay fresh, make sure, you know, what's working, double down on it. What's not working, throw it out. And so, yeah, I think that's, a, that's a big part of the, the whole innovation, you know, looking towards what's relevant and, and getting your mind straight.
0: Right. Yeah. So you've created this foundation and network called Start It Up. Can you sort of take us on a bullet train ride from uh, the classroom to <sighs> yeah. the work you're doing now?
1: Well, yeah, the the class, um, really, there's a single point of origin. And that was Daniel Pink's TED Talk. Got, a, got an email um, not too long after that. TED talk came out and said, watch this. I watched it during my lunch break. And then I showed it to my class the next period. Um, And basically in that was talking about, you know, what great work environments do to motivate and innovate their employees. And so I thought, why not school? Why not here? And very long journey made into a couple sentences. I asked to have my own class and the class started off kind of rough. Uh, there's a whole conversation about that on why, but essentially it got off the ground and things were going well. Now, I started to talk to more teachers and 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 more school administrators and like, man, we should have this class. We called it innovation in open source learning, and um, it was met with a lot of no thanks. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, like, you know, is this going to increase? uh, student, uh, scores on, on, on the state standardized tests. I'm like, I don't know. Right. Like maybe, probably not. Okay. Well then we're done here. Um, and the foundation was, was a collection of things, but a lot of it was all of a sudden, you know, shark tank kind of started to become popular. And we were doing events uh, to get our students out of school because, you know, I was still starting to work with with kids, not just in my high school. So we'd invite them to events and then do like pitch competitions or reverse pitch competitions. And um, then the state of Indiana kind of stepped in and they're like, hey, we have the statewide pitch competition. Do you want to help with it? And then eventually they kind of, you know, handed it over to us. And uh, the best way to do that was to be a nonprofit and, you know, Now we're trying to set up chapters all over state and get more students involved in innovation and entrepreneurialism.
0: Mm, Love it. Yeah. So, all right. So your mission, um, this, I mean, I pulled this directly from your site. Your mission is to empower students and teachers to actively change education through employing innovation and entrepreneurship in the classroom. Amazing. What does that actually look like?
1: Yeah. What it looks like a lot of times is it, it wrapping around a really basic term would be genius hour 20% time mm-hmm. uh, at, at the grade school level, maybe the in uh, the middle school level. Um, I think most optimally when you get to high school, I think it needs to be at its own elective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I love the genius hour movement. Um, it kind of took hold. I really do think that Daniel Pink's kind of the godfather of that. Um but, you know, 20 minutes on a Friday is really what I boil down to. It's, you know, show and tell for some reason ends in kindergarten or first okay. grade. Well, let's extend that out. Let's have the students see what they can collect and connect. Let's see what they can, you know, want to kind of show off on the things that they learned that wasn't in the regular curriculum. Um, and that's great. Those are, you know, that kind of shows the kids in grade school that school is a place to things you have to learn but also a time where you things you want to learn um that then would graduate up to middle school now middle school this is where you know everybody all of a sudden now has a lot more standards to adhere to and there's more standardized testing so a lot of times I hear well I don't have time for a genius hour once a week Mm -hmm. great do it once a month and team up with like because a lot of middle schools are teamed So if, you know, if I'm an English teacher, I do it this week, I don't have to do it again for another five weeks because next week is art. The week after that is science. The week after that is math. The week after that is social studies. So I think the genius hour can be shared responsibility uh, by middle school. Now, here's the thing that 20 to 30 minutes once a week isn't going to cut it in high school because now they're working on major, bigger projects that are really impactful and, you know, I selfishly uh, think that it deserves its own, uh, you know, class. It deserves its own elective.
0: Mm-hmm. So what would be sort of the difference on the surface level in terms of, like, outcomes and in terms of what students are producing when you go from that 20 to 30 minutes a week genius hour model into this dedicated, probably highly structured um, elective experience?
1: Well, I mean, it's ironically enough, it's not too structured. And, that was the, and those are the things that we struggled with because there's this balance of choice and also, well, heck, let me, let me first start off. That first year I did it, and really my first test that I did was like a two month test. And, and it was more in a genius hour format. And so, you know, I said, you know, hey, what do you want to work on? And they just looked at me and they're like, tell me what to do. Mm
0: hmm. I was
1: like, well, no, no, you have this gift of an hour and a half this block. What do you want to work on? Now, my A and B students just looked at me and they're like, how do I get a good grade? What do you want me to work on? Meanwhile, my C and D students were like, are you serious? (laughs) Seriously. So if I told and so we started getting some interesting things that they're working on. Um, So the structure really eventually kind of adapted over time, but you know, if I just said, you're free to work on anything, they worked on nothing. Right. And yet, if and yet if I was too structured, they treated it exactly like school. Right. And now it just became a circus, you know, or I should say a hoop to jump through of I'm going to pretend and I worked this hard to get this grade. And so it kind of missed the point and the mark as well. So, um, there was this delicate balance of really the first six to seven weeks that we had was a little bit more structured. We learned about you know what was out there, what the future was going to hold, um, how to backwards design things, how to form a team, why why you should be on LinkedIn at age sixteen, um, how to network uh, and and then open source learning. So, you know, the things that you're passionate about, you start finding those people that do things of that nature. So the kid goes, I really want to learn event management and concert promotion. Mr. Wettrick doesn't do that. I don't mm-hmm. know where, again, but if we open source that, we can, like, I can find people. Right. That's the nice thing about teachers. Like, we know everybody. If you've taught for 20 years, you know a lot of families.
0: <laughs> so right.
1: we put that to use. and And so... Once they start open sourcing their learning, we have them meet with people via Skype or sometimes they'd leave the school. And then from there, like we set deadlines. We set accountability measures. And um, you know, that's that's kind of the way we 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 grew and and the way and I'm not gonna lie, it's still hard. Like I have learned in no uncertain terms. And by the way, this is not just kids, this is adults. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing in the world is the things that you tell yourself you're gonna do.
0: Say a little bit more about that.
1: Well, I mean <laughs> New Year's resolutions, you know, this is the year I'm going to quit smoking or I'm going to read a book a month or I'm going to lose weight. Those things sound fantastic. It com- feels good coming out of your mouth. Then the alarm goes off and you press news. Hardest things to do are to keep yourself accountable. And, uh, you know, like, but at the same time, when we start talking about, you know, like fill in the sentence of, you know what they should teach in school. And everybody's got opinions from. How to balance checkbook to you know writing a good resume to you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, like project management. Right. So so if a kid goes, I want to learn how to code a simple app, awesome. What does that look like? How long do you need? Like, cause you have to backward design that. Like mm-hmm. when's your deadline? Well, if I could have this done by April, awesome. So if you want it done by April 15th, what will you have to do to have it done by and then you start setting backwards deadlines? And after a while, you like take it back to, so what do you need to do today? What's your two week plan? And I think that, that was the biggest gift of all huh. is that if you can if you can start breaking down a problem like I want and and by the way, not soapbox moment here, but that's exactly the mindset we want to get into in that like. Like, I, I'm so done with identity politics and telling you, people socially signaling on what other people should do. Mm-hmm. We live in a fill-in society. Awesome. What's the solution?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, they should do something about it. They being the government. What are you doing? That, that, that's my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. Like, we need to have people, the things that they say, I don't like the way our society does, blank. Awesome. What are you doing about it to make a difference?
0: That's right. I, goodness, I, yeah, I could not could not agree more. And I think education is really a space that um, takes a beating quite a bit in the exact way that you're talking about. And that's a little bit of my refrain as well. Is oh, that's okay, fantastic. The problems are numerous. What what are we doing? What am I doing right now to start moving the needle? Yeah, yeah. So let's um, let's take it. I just want to take take it back uh, real quick for anyone listening that is not familiar with Genius Hour. Can you break that down for us real quick?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think that really it started off, like I said, with the Dan Pink Ted Talk and and then some people like start giving it a title. Some people called it 20% time. Some people called it, you know, Genius Hour passion project, whatever, but like a teacher would carve out 20 to 30 minutes once a week to let the students work on what they thought was relevant or the things that they wanted to do. Uh, again, as an elementary school teacher, a lot of times you called that show and tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> the, the, the science behind it of why that was healthy and why that was good uh, is somehow then lost in upper levels of elementary, middle and high school. So that's, that's really what it is, though.
0: Awesome. Thank you. So when this is really rolling and students are getting it and buying in and and going through the process, what kind of changes are you seeing take place in the students? And then I'd also love to know what kind of changes you're seeing take place in the teachers um, who are jumping on board and, and just sort of, you know, doing this for the first time.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I'll answer that in a middle school, uh, elementary and high school kind of way. Uh, The elementary, the teachers that are doing Genius Hour, they have a lot of times reported that is the most popular thing of the year. Uh, Matter of fact, we've had some do some data collection on it uh, in the sense that the kids look forward to it and the teachers love it, too, because you don't know – like. When a kid just, and I'm saying this lovingly, but when a kid is just told to sit down and, and you force them the curriculum, you don't really know where their interests lie. You don't know if they can shoot and edit video at third grade. You don't know if they have a talent in singing. You don't know if they're really good at lacrosse. It, but you do if you have a genius hour time. And all of a sudden you can start seeing them as a different kind of learner or a different kind of, you know, personality type as opposed to quiet, compliant child. The mm-hmm. uh, Same thing with middle school. Now, middle school is a little bit tougher because now is when, which, by the way, this is why it's so important to start in elementary, because when you show that, hey, this is your time of the week, that it's about you, it's literally selfish. What do you want to learn that sometimes has nothing to do with school? Middle school it gets tougher because they now want to be compliant. They just want to like, what do I need to do to get a good grade? Mm-hmm. And so learning has stopped and compliance is doubling down. And at the high school, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say, Don, how much, how much of that is just force of habit? You know, how much of that is, is not because middle schoolers are just typically more compliant because of their, you know, their developmental progress or something, which, which isn't the case. And how much of it is they've just really learned the system.
1: Right. But I mean, that's the whole point. Right. The system can include a little bit of freedom, choice, and voice. Because when, because when we all like, really, this is good parenting. You know, I, when I went to college, there was this, there was this really nice girl that was in my class who was never allowed to do anything. And when she got on campus, I saw her maybe the second week of, of class. And she was falling over drunk on a Tuesday at 7 PM. And she tells me, my mom can't tell me what to do. (laughs) And I Mm -hmm. thought. Clearly, you never tasted a little bit of freedom. Now it's going to your head. So when we just tell kids, sit down, shut up, memorize these things, because that's what we've done. And I'm not I'm not arguing that it wasn't successful for a while. But all of a sudden, when they graduate and they're in college, hey, now you have some freedom. Hey, now you have some time to manage your own time. Good luck. Uh-huh. Wait, well, I've never had hey, this experiences before. Or changing the majors three times because the major that you thought you actually never really got into in high school.
0: Right.
1: You never really job shadowed anybody. So all of a sudden you take off the the training wheels and you're like, good luck, kid. Oh, by the way, you already graduated, so we're done. Our numbers were tied to the state score and graduation rate. So good luck.
0: Mm -hmm. That's messed up. It is. Yeah, it's it is. And my, my brain is just kind of firing on a couple of things. But yeah, just taking it back to the, you know, the fact that it gets tougher in middle school to bring students into this kind of structure. Um, you know, if they're getting this experience early on, it's only going to get easier for them as as, as they get older and and what they step into is going to become that much more complex and robust uh, and innovative.
1: It should. It, I mean, yes, if if you introduce that to them. Right. Uh, or, or, you know, they're so drained and browbeaten from and bored. I, I mean, creativity is at its zenith in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, then all of a sudden, and by the way, this is absolutely data points in most states, um, they keep doing polls. Students lose the interest in school. Uh, it starts falling off dramatically in third grade. When, when are the, when do the state start the standardized testing? Third grade.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Mm. It will be so interesting to see. And now how long has the started up foundation and network been in play?
1: Uh, ever since I backed away from the classroom, what, seven months ago? I mean, it's,
0: it's oh, new. Uh, okay. I mean,
1: as an LLC, um, you know, I was doing although that was that was the thing that was getting hard, is that uh I had a, you know, Monday through Friday job and I was doing some consulting with schools after hours or sometimes I'd have to fly out. As a nonprofit, we're fairly new because A, the state of Indiana said you can run now the state pitch competition, but now we've been tasked with starting chapters. Um really actually we're spending now outside of my state. Um, but you know, our chapter level stuff is that we were working with kids that didn't have this as an option. They didn't have an innovation class. Mm -hmm, Right. So, so traditionally what we did is we'd, we'd choose, uh, locations that we could pull from at least two to three different high schools and bring students together once a month and get them into programming that, you know, would heighten their creativity and, and, Uh, really kind of entrepreneurial skills. We call it the entrepreneurial way of being. And the most often thing we did is we'd have reverse pitch competitions. So a a deserving nonprofit would come in, family shelter, you know, uh, opioid crisis center, whatever. And so they would come in and say, here's, here's what we do. Here's what our mission and vision is. Here's what we struggle with. The kids are asked to, uh, you know, ask some questions as a group. And then they go off into teams of about seven to 10 and they whiteboard for 35 minutes. And A, they're not on their phone. They're actively engaged. They're possibly, you know, they're pitching solutions. What if and this, and I have an uncle that does that. They come back to the main area and each of the groups makes a pitch. And, you know, A, kids like to give their opinion, but some of them have surprisingly good ideas. And a lot of times the nonprofits that they're pitching for, they have staff of like two or three people. So mm-hmm. they really value this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we try to do that once a month. That gets the kids into an entrepreneurial way of being. You know, i.e., this is what I would do if I were in charge. And, and really our foundation probably has more to do with mental health and well-being than it does entrepreneurship.
0: Hmm. Say because more about they, that.
1: Well, because when they get together, it's positive. You came there... Not like you came there to help other people. Hey, here's a here's a homeless shelter we're gonna be helping out. Awesome. Here's what we would do. Sometimes at the end of the night, sometimes these places like, what do you do you need an internship? I actually I do. And so like them experiencing talking to one another and pitching ideas and possibilities feels really good as opposed to scrolling through another hour of TikTok and watching people mm. dance. Over and over again. Like, and, and the thing is kids don't know why they don't have a purpose. They don't know why they don't feel fulfilled. Cause you're on, it's an infinite scroll, right? Y- you just, you're almost ready to put the phone down, but oh, if I swipe up a little bit, Oh, but look what they're doing. And they're like, why am I not there? Why don't I get thousands of hits? Why don't my abs look like that? And why am I not in Maui? You don't like what you do. And so if I get them out of that, and into a state of purpose, it feels good.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. I'm always very curious about the hard part. You mentioned that for students, the hard part is the accountability, figuring out a way to do the thing you said you were going to do. What's the hard part for teachers?
1: Oh, taking the risk that this is going to drive away from the machine that is college and the sometimes the mentality of the parents that hey, I just studied my way and was a general studies major in college and it turned out for well for me in
0: 1991. Mm,
1: mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm glad it worked for you. Like the risk is like, can we allow them to work on some of things that aren't straight academia? Well, how is your GPA now structured? Is this a weighted course? How's my son gonna get into a famous college if this isn't a weighted course? No, he should take another AP whatever. Why? Oh, so so he can memorize his way in and get a better GPA and somehow everything is going to... Has your son worked on anything other than academia? Has your daughter looked into careers? Or has she just taken the curriculum? Well, she'll figure out what she wants to do in college. That's an expensive thing to do, man. So the risk is trying something new. That's just, that's it. And the parent's thinking you're crazy.
0: Okay, so the risk... So let, let's just speak to that a little bit. You know, that's that's a real fear. What are you actually seeing play out when people do take that risk?
1: Uh, it's still not a guarantee. Normally, um, the student will say, "Dude, I was about to major in that next year. Thank God, because because in the class they like, I would ask them. You know, what do you think you might want to do once you leave this building?" And so I would get them connected with people in that industry or like the most cliche example is I'm going to be a coder. I'm going to learn how to code. My dad said there's a lot of jobs in coding. I'm like, great, let's get on. And there's a lot of free courses out there on really basics of coding. And they do it for weeks, uh, you know, or two weeks. And they're like, wait, I couldn't do this for a living. I am. And some people love it. And some people it's just not meant for them. And I'm like, awesome. Mm -hmm. cross it off. There's no other class. When you fail, you're rewarded. Mm. Like I tried this and it blew up my face. I am not a good coder. Now in math, we'd call that remediation. We'd make you do it again and again and again and again and again.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And innovation class, you're like, you're not that good at it. You hate it. You fundamentally can't stand it. Okay. Scratch it off your list. What would you want to do instead?
0: Right. And think about the value of that learning compared to you know, some some discrete skills or or discrete knowledge, you know, that that's important. But the value of that learning for that student for the long term.
1: Yeah. And 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 it, it's it's funny to think about um, school is not into supplying time for the things you're good at. They supply more time for the things you're bad at. Imagine a school if if imagine a school that kept making LeBron James take more golf lessons. They took away his time to practice basketball because he showed he was proficient.
0: It's <laughs> an interesting way to look at it. So what about parents? Let's talk about the parent side of things. We've kind of alluded to it a little bit, touched on it a little bit. What's the best thing that parents can be doing to help their students get into the entrepreneurial way of being?
1: Um, f- allow, Um Like ask them questions about what they're interested in, get them involved, travel, Um you, you know, like, do not just let them sit on TV or on YouTube or, you know, infinite scroll. Like, what is your purpose, man? What do you, you know, what, what would you die for and when are you going to start living for it? Because, it, it, like, I think that's the key to a lot of this. Parents that know exactly where their son's or daughter's passions lie, they foster it. If they have no idea, which, by the way, is the vast majority, they're like, ah, maybe they'll figure it out. Okay, like get them out. What is it? And 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 if you want to at the, at an early age, you know what is it around you? Could you start a small business? You know, my my daughter's first business. We we lived near a golf course, and every Thursday they had a golf outing, and that's a nice way of saying that there's people that drink and 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 lose a lot of golf balls. So Thursday evening, we'd go and walk around the rough, and we'd go around the perimeter of the golf course, and we'd find tons of golf balls. She'd sell them the next day for two dollars. She made a lot of money. She made a lot of money, and and so like that's entrepreneurial. And once and once the kid goes, dude, this is cash. Like we need to do this more often. Like, what do you want to buy with that? What do you want to invest with it? You know, I literally that's what I did. I mean, obviously the most cliche thing, but still awesome is a lemonade stand. There's, you know, a dog walking. There's a lot of things, but that economic empowerment and that sense of pride that comes from that as a kid. Yeah. Get them into that as soon as you can.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. I love that for for schools that are interested in sort of infusing their culture with innovation and entrepreneurship. What does what does it look like to start that process and to carry it through? <sighs>
1: um, again, I think most optimally it starts as early as you can at the elementary school levels. Uh, but there's just a time commitment. Actually, there is a school I worked with, and this is what they decided. This was, this was is I had worked with some of the teachers that were really passionate about it, and there was a lot of teachers that weren't. And, and so the principal goes, well, I'm going to make sure that all of them do a, a Genius Hour next year. And I'm like, no, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't. I said, however— do you have some flexibility on sending some teachers to other grades and they went yeah and I said okay and so I started looking around um, and really the first the kindergarten first grade class were doing all right as is so I thought okay there's second third fourth and fifth at this school I said are there and I noticed that there was about 10 teachers uh, that were really into the genius hour thing and so I said okay just make sure that there's one per grade level And that way, and then, by the way, you can have team names. So you can have an innovation track starting in second grade. And if you had Mrs. Smith, you're guaranteed in third grade to get Mr. Anderson. And then if you had Mr. Anderson, you're guaranteed to get Mrs. Krabappel. Now, why? Because all those teachers were going to set a a dedicated time to Genius Hour. And here's what happened. The teachers that weren't interested in this are like, well, that's cute. Awesome. Good for you. Then the parents. You win them over. My child has never been this passionate before. Did you see what they did? Did you see that video project? Did you see that podcast they recorded? Aren't I proud? Okay, year two, now more parents were like, they heard about Genius Hour. Except their son or daughter wasn't in the Genius Hour innovation okay. track. So year two, there was a lot of more teachers to go, hey, we wanted to be involved in. By year three, darn near all of the teachers felt like, you know, this is worth it. So just... You know, foster that um, time with the teachers that are willing to do it, allow them the time to showcase it, and then see if it spreads. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But that, to me, is better than the the principal having an all-staff meeting on the first day of school and saying, y'all are doing genius hour. I I don't think that's the right thing
0: to do. Right, right, right. Mm. Are you seeing any, like, entire districts uh, that are bringing this, this kind of time and approach in. And what, tell, tell me about that.
1: Um, Oh, politically, this is where I get in trouble. Um, I I probably see it more as in the charter schools. Um, now there's a whole can of worms you can open up on that, Mm -hmm. uh, on some of the fairness of charters and all that. So I'm not going, that's not today's podcast. Uh, but I have seen a lot That there have been some schools singularly built on curiosity, uh, inquiry, uh, innovation, uh, that kind of thing. Um, Oh, she's going to really freak out because I... um, Uh, Caitlin Scales, I interviewed her. There's a there's a school network in um, Boise, Idaho, that blew me away that they even had like a consulting group. And the students ran a lot of things. And and, then they were very, you know, of course, there's the project based movement. Mm -hmm. Although, again, people have asked me, what's the difference between, you know, project based learning and genius hour? And I'm like, well, PBL is still that genre. So if you're a history teacher, your project has to be over some, the unit you just did in history. Although I love project-based learning, by the Mm way. Mm -hmm. Um, I do too. Yeah. But, um, you know, yes, I've seen certain school districts, not all, uh, that really embrace this and and try to push towards a lot of, you know, student output and and real world outcomes. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. i was so curious. What, what are some of the best things that you've seen students create? Like, are there any stories or examples that just really pop immediately?
1: Uh, so I'm going to go away from me humble bragging about my students and I'll tell you about some of the things I've seen <laughs> in my, in my travels. Uh, I was just in, um, boy, my 47 year old brain, I was just in Arkansas and, um, Don Tyson school of innovation. That's what it was. Um, Don Tyson, like I, I had met some students there that were building some impressive things, but the, the thing that blew me away, and by the way, this is Arkansas, and no offense to Arkansas, but a lot of times you don't think about the fact that they had the robotics team that represented the United States. They, they competed in Dubai, um, but they created their own program, and it was student basically student-run, and I met a student who was like, concerned that this that the the school wasn't offering cybersecurity classes so he asked the administration if he could teach it he was a senior and he he was going to teach a cybersecurity class to freshmen
0: wow awesome.
1: A, awesome i i walked into that building and the first thing i saw was the drones 1 and 2 class where you could get your drone pilot's license and i'm like I, I, my first reaction is I, I might consider moving here because mm. my son, my 10-year-old, so I've got a 19-year-old, a, a, a 15-year-old, and a 10-year-old. Grant in school sometimes, um, <laughs> he would love to go to that school. So, you know, I, I, I've I seen students invent things. I mean, I, I've seen students run just like businesses that – like one of my favorites, a girl that makes her own jewelry and just took some classes on Google AdWords. And she sells pretty basic handmade jewelry <laughs> because it's not because I mean, her designs are nice and all, but she understood the data. She understood the, the internet side of it. She understood mm-hmm. the ad placement side of it. I, like that to me is a wow moment. Now, is she going to be a, a, a multimillionaire off of jewelry? No, but at age 15, she got started.
0: Right. Wow. Right. Yeah. And she's, she's setting a foundation Absolutely, And a lot of different areas that she can build on. Yeah. So this is maybe just even a personal question, but what's it like having guys like Gary Vee and Tim Ferriss in, not only endorse your work, but partner with you in it?
1: Um, I mean, in the sense that they just wanted to talk to my... Well, actually, I, and I'll give credit where credit's due. Um, with Gary, it wasn't necessarily tied to the students, but with like Jocko Wilnick and Tim, is because they wanted to talk to my class. And I think that some of it was just out of skepticism, hmm. you know, because and really, this is how the podcast started, by the way. You know, my my podcast, all of a sudden we we were, you know, we had Tim Ferriss for two hours and a couple of my students turned around like, are we recording this? Because this is kind of awesome. And um, yeah, it was cool because like people like Seth Godin, people like Gary are very, um, <laughs> outspoken about the education system so we were reaching out to him we're like okay this is what we're doing differently and they're like huh let me see and um yeah it it you know well heck our whole start got you know when i i reached out to dan pink years ago because i'm like hey your ted talk is making me start my own class he's like oh really can i pop in on skype and see what you guys are up to that led you know that lent us a lot of credibility and Um. and it's yes it's been very rewarding But at the same time, I'm not doing it to name drop because if I name drop, then then teachers then might have an excuse of, well, I can't get Gary to call into my class, so I'm not going to start.
0: Sure. I I, I just
1: I just wanted to like, hey, they may have endorsed it or they may have given us some some time. But like also they were like, wow, more people should do this. It wasn't for the sake of look at me, Tim spending time with this. That wasn't or I hope that's not been the intention or at least appeared that way.
0: No, I don't think so. Um, the things that I've seen them say sounds very meaningful. Um,
1: yeah, it's been a blessing. Definitely been a blessing.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you have walked this professional journey that marries entrepreneurship with education, which is like like my dream state, basically. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned through it all?
1: Uh huh. Not to be redundant, but the hardest things in the world are the things you say you're going to do. I like it, this whole thing is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, figuring out what the future might where in my lie, is hard. Getting people to work uh, is hard. Like, it, it's so funny. People love to complain about their situation, but prefer to stay in that zone. Mm hmm man, I wish school was relevant. When, when can I work on the things that I want to work on? When, when am I going to have time to do the things that I want to do? Okay. Now, yeah, just tell me what to do. Yeah. E- even when I like, and by the way, because like the class was never hundred percent, I still had some kids. They were very nice kids, but they still like, wait, this is harder than I thought. I just want to be told what to do because I can complain about it.
0: <laughs> kind of right. like,
1: well, you know, uh, I don't like where our society is going. What are you doing now, nah, man? What can you do? It's the man.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a security blanket.
1: Absolutely. So yeah. that that has been my biggest takeaway. The things that we're trying to do in theory look perfect and easy. It has not been perfect and it has not been easy.
0: Yeah, it's a messy thing. Well, I think Fair. innovation always is, you know, creativity always is. Any kind of design work, it it always is because it's not, prescribed. And it's not, although there are frameworks to follow, it's not formulaic. And so it's going to be messy. Um, I just think our classrooms can stand to get a little messier.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that willingness to be bold and say, hey, this didn't work out. What are we going to do next?
0: Exactly. Well, and even going back to the value that students gain in learning that, you know, ooh, I'm not... I am actually not great at this or I'm actually not in love with this topic. I'm not going to go down that road. Like, my gosh, the value of that learning for them, um, you know, compared to some some other types of academic learning. We just have to be right. willing, I think, to, to – we just have to be willing to go there and wrestle with it.
1: Right. And by the way, full disclosure, I'm not saying that all school is bad. No. You cannot be innovative if you don't know how to read, write, multiply, divide. However <laughs> – we're asking for a small amount of time we're asking for one separate class to see if they can fill in those gaps um i'm not wanting to throw all you know the bathwater out you right. know uh, mm-hmm. just add a little bit to it
0: right and i'm glad you mentioned that because i think that's the that's the fear that creeps up in a lot of people's minds when we start talking about anything that's that's a departure from from the traditional approach and structure. So I think it's, I think it's always good to kind of, um, reemphasize that. Definitely. As we start to kind of wrap up here, Don, I always love to ask my guests who, who they're giving an A to right now. Um, and you can sort of take that for whatever it's worth mm. for you, but I'd love to kind of pitch that to you. Who are you giving an A to?
1: I'm giving an A to, uh, two individuals because they started this conversation a lot sooner than I ever did. And that is Mike Rowe and Dan Pink. Mm. Um, Dan has been talking about this and what motivates people and the timing of it. Uh, And Mike Rowe has been sounding the alarms of the careers that we're overlooking and the schooling that it takes. And he has been um, a beacon of hope for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. I am, I, this foundation is, is, you know, sitting firmly on the shoulders of giants for sure. So Mike Rowe, Daniel Pink.
0: Awesome. And then how can people get connected with you and the network?
1: Yeah. Uh, feel free to, <laughs> Hey, we're a 501 C three tax deductible donation. Uh, uh, start ed up That's start ed, E-D up foundation.org. Um, and then I'm probably, you know, I'm, my numbers are bigger on Twitter. I got the blue check mark, which kind of makes me cool, but I'm okay. not liking, I'm not liking Twitter as much because it's just political and awful. It's, so I'm probably rough. more, it is. So I'm probably more on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, so both places at Don Wetrick.
0: Okay. Awesome. I'll make sure we include all those links, make it really easy for people to find you and get in touch with you. Awesome. Don, this has been so fantastic, and I know we're talking earlier in the day than I normally do for podcasts, but it's been like such an Uh incredible way to start the day and week, and I just really appreciate your time.
1: Well, Daniel Pink would tell you the best time to do interviews is first thing in the morning, because people are at their emotional highest, and the worst time to do it would be between uh, uh, noon and 2 (laughs) p.m. People are at their lowest point. They're in the trough
0: anyway it makes perfect sense they've just <laughs> eaten everybody yep. wants to nap okay
1: all right anyway but well, thank you so much rebecca for having me on i sincerely sincerely appreciate the opportunity to talk about the, the foundation and innovation
0: awesome thanks don keep doing what you're doing thanks again for listening to off the assembly line if you're loving the show, the best way to support it is by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts and by sharing with others who you know need to hear it. Episode information and resources can be found in the show notes or at offtheassemblyline.co. If you want a copy of the Education Innovation Town Hall recording, send me an email at teachermastermind.com. Have an amazing week, and no matter what is going on in your world, lean into possibility. See you next week for a brand new episode.